Okay, so we're in Romans again. Still in Romans. This is, we've got one more to go after today. We're in chapter 14 and the first half of 15. So we're going to have a lot to read in a moment. But let's just start where we are in the book. The main message of the book of Romans is all about the Christians who used to be Jews and the Christians who used to be Gentiles. Well, perhaps that's a surprise, because perhaps for most of us, it's about all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have salvation in Jesus by faith alone. We have no condemnation. Who will separate us and all of that? But why would Paul need to write all of those things if people thought that they could get salvation through the law, then, or sorry, didn't need to, didn't think that, then there would be no point in writing, we just have salvation by faith alone. So what was happening in the church in those days, as Keith was telling us a couple of weeks ago, that we had the um, church in Rome, who was mainly Gentile believers, but then the Jews who'd been banished were all coming back, and you have Jews and Gentiles all in the church. And, and Paul's now spent a lot of time, 11 chapters, telling us what the theory and the basis and the principles behind uh, how everybody comes to faith in different ways. And then the last couple of few chapters, he's got practical. And that's what he's doing today. We're on chapter 14 and 15, first half of 15, and it's all about the practical outworking of all of that. Because people were coming into the church with a, a history and a heritage of being Jews, and others were coming in with a history and heritage of being Gentiles, so not, not, no background at all. And that's actually where conflict comes, because we all come with our different pieces of religious baggage, right? And actually, we, we all agree on the basics. But in fact, most of the conflict that happens in churches is because we all carry baggage on our back, which actually, I can do most things here, and I can stand up and turn around. But actually, if I suddenly go, woof, it's going to knock the mic stand over because the stuff there that I'm not even aware I'm carrying and when we, we bump into one another, then actually that's when conflict happens in the church. So that's what it's all about today. It's all about how our religious baggage that we carry from the past, how it, how it, it all interacts with each other and causes conflict. And then what should we do about it to avoid that sort of conflict? Okay, so... Let's now read through the passage. It's quite long, so um, if you're feeling sleepy, then I suggest you put matchsticks in your eyes because it's, we're going to carry on for a little bit of a long time. So this is um, chapter 14 and all the way down to 15, verse 13, I think. Yeah. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may, may eat anything, while a weak person eats only vegetables. 
Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he'll be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honour of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honour of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honour of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, We live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God, For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of our brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between you and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the, the encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. For as it's written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. As I was preparing this, I was asking God what what was it he wanted to do through this message. And what I felt he said to me was that, that there were things, as I was speaking, things from the past or some certain issues may be rising to the surface so that he can remove them. Just like we often have this image of, of gold being purified and the, and the impurities all rise to the top and are skimmed away. And then when we were in the prayer meeting earlier, somebody had a word about strongholds being demolished and also things rising to the surface. And I felt that was a real confirmation of the word that I received So I believe that's what's going to happen and we're going to have opportunity at the end. If anything, so if anything starts to come up or I touch on a sore area or something from the past, just let it come to the surface and we're going to have a time where we can just give all of these things to God because he doesn't want us to be living in conflict because of the baggage we are carrying or the baggage that other people are carrying and which is affecting us. So in the first part of chapter 14, Paul identifies three areas where we can often come in conflict. These are areas which are not central to the gospel. We often talk about things that are open hand and closed hand. So there are things that are closed hands which are absolutely vital to our faith, namely that Jesus died for us, he redeemed us and brought us into his family. And there are things that are open hand that we may believe here, you may believe, I may believe, but there are other brothers and sisters we have who are just as much children of God who may believe something different. And we're talking about these open hand things today. We're not talking about the the fundamentals of the faith, but we're talking about these other things. And those are the areas where conflict can often arise. So the three areas that Paul identifies are eating anything, versus only eating vegetables. That's verse chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, and verse 6. And then there's a whole lot about doing everything to, to the honour of Jesus. Now remember that many of these people would be coming in from an orthodox Jewish background where certain foods were unclean and certain things were clean, and they have the habit of eating only those things. 
Whereas people coming in from a Gentile background would, would be eating different things. And, and this can cause conflict because when we come to Jesus, not, it's not that everything is all automatically, immediately wiped away. We still come with our, with, with our culture and our uh, things that are in us and we can see others who have different things. The second area is celebrating special days. So as we know, the, 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 there was the Jewish calendar had all, all these special days, you know, Feast of Tabernacles, Passover and everything. People not coming from that cultural background didn't have those special days. And then so what happens when, when you have these two sets of people coming together and wanting to do different things? The third one is drinking alcohol versus not drinking alcohol. That's in, in verse 21. So again, something where there's, there's um, potential conflict. I want to now apply this to our current day situation. It's very important that we understand what the context is that these, um, uh, the, 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 these words were written in. But for most of us, I would say there's very few people here who've come from an Orthodox Jewish background. However, there are many of us who've come from with, with lots of religious baggage, um, and I want to just explore some of the areas that I, I can think of. Three examples I'm going to, going to work through, and there may be other issues that I've forgotten or haven't touched on which apply to you. So let those come to the surface, and if there's still a live issue or a stronghold, let's see those strongholds come tumbling down. So, in my background, I grew up as an Anglican, and, and I grew up with lots of special days. The Anglicans have special days for everything. Yeah? And we would have special seasons and special times and you know Advent and Christmas and Lent and, and, and all of these things. And there were special prayers that you had to say for special days. And it was all part of the culture that I grew up in. And then I moved to a church like this and it's suddenly like, wow, we can talk about the resurrection 365 days a year. We don't have to just do it one day a year. Isn't that fantastic? And so my immediate response was, let's just throw out all those special days and all of that church calendar and all of that stuff because suddenly I'm free and I can do it all at any time. And then actually, it's a little bit sad really because... I like Christmas carols. And I like having Christmas. So it, then, I don't know why, but we seem to have, have come to some sort of equilibrium in this church where we, we sort of celebrate Christmas and we have the brass band and all of these things. We celebrate Easter, sometimes on Good Friday, sometimes not. And... That's about it, as far as special days are concerned. And as I was thinking about this, I, I, thought, I thought the following, and interestingly, Ian brought up exactly this topic, unbeknown to, to, to what I had been thinking, in our elders' meeting on Friday. He said, well, I thought that in the 
Anglican church year, there are three major festivals. There's Christmas, where you celebrate the love of the Father in sending Jesus. Then there's Easter, where you celebrate the love of Jesus in dying for us. And then there's Pentecost, or Wit, where we celebrate the love of the Holy Spirit coming to empower us. And somehow, we're a charismatic church, but we celebrate Christmas and Easter, but we never celebrate Pentecost. Isn't that strange? Anyway, that was just a little thought to leave you with. (laughs) So that, so that was my background with special days. Another sort of special day, some people come from a a very much a tradition of you mustn't uh, watch television on a Sunday, you mustn't go shopping on a Sunday, you mustn't enjoy yourself on a Sunday, you have to look miserable all day. And again, that can cause conflict. And the number of people from Emmanuel who I meet in Tesco's on a Sunday afternoon demonstrates the freedom that we have. In fact, I was I, a few weeks ago, I bumped into to like two sets of people all simultaneously. We all arrived at the same point on a Sunday afternoon. I said, isn't it a good job we're not a church who preaches that you shouldn't shop on a Sunday? Okay, so those are special days. When, a, a number of years ago, uh, Chris and I lived in the United States, and there there is a cultural thing that Christians don't drink alcohol. Now, the, the house group that we were in, everybody in our group, we, we all did drink alcohol. So when we had socials, we would have bottles of wine. And it was all very nice. But then that meant that whenever somebody new came in, there was always, the leader would then just sort of sidle up to them and say, do you drink? And they'd say, yes, I do. And almost as if they were feeling like they were about to get some condemnation. They said, oh, very good, so do we. <laughs> so so that's another one from my experience of... of and, and, you know, when we, uh, a few weeks ago, went on our elders' retreat, you know, we were... Uh, five of us were enjoying ourselves with our gin and tonics and our bottled wine and, and Taiwo had his fruit juice and his coke and we all accepted each other and there was not an issue between any of us. Right? So it, 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 you can or you don't need to. Now here's another one from the history of this church and at that point I wasn't in this church. We're talking way back in the 1980s. I was in a, a similar church as part of the same movement. And at that point there was a, an, an edict came down from on high from the leaders that in all of the services that women should wear head coverings because of the, the passage in 1 Corinthians. And, and this became quite an issue. Right, a piece of religious baggage. I think it was, in fact, from the religious heritage of the leaders of that movement where that was a, a common practice. And we were in this position where the leaders of the church I was in said, we don't believe in this, but we're going to practice it out of respect for the leaders. And that's a very bad place to be in. I don't believe it, but I'm going to practice it because of what I'm told to do. And it became a major issue. It became a complete distraction from, from lots of the, the, the real thing. And one particular story that I have, that I remember, we were at, um, and I, ca- I can't even remember where it was, but there was a large gathering of people, uh, like a Bible week, and the main speaker, one of the main speakers there was a, a guy called Buddy Harrison from, from the States, 
who, well, the thing I remember about him was he prophesied in rhyming couplets, which I didn't understand how he did that. But there was one evening when, when his wife, Pat Harrison, um, came and onto the platform and, and was the, after the, the, and she basically took all the leaders who were sitting there in a row and she just pointed at them and, pr- and prayed and prophesied over them. And as she pointed, they all, they fell over one by one and then they were all crawling around as if they were drunk in the spirit. And this is the first time any of us had seen all of this and it was amazing. But what was the, the, the biggest impact that it had on us? She wasn't wearing a head covering when she did that. So, so it became a whole issue of religious baggage that caused problems. Now, I have no problem if any of the, the women want to wear a head covering here, or in fact, I have no problem if any of the men want to wear a head covering, right? I don't think it's an issue, right? But uh, those days, it became an issue. And as probably what, the, the, what I think is the key verse in this passage the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to focus on the externals, but let's actually take off our religious baggage. And this is where the microphone goes as well, if I'm not careful, and actually walk free of all of the stuff that would hold us down and tie us back. Little things can provoke a strong reaction when there's religious baggage or there's this issues around. When Chris and I first joined Emmanuel, this was very shortly after the church had been through a very difficult time when um, many people had left to go and form King's Church and prior to that there'd been some leadership that was very controlling and very uh, heavy. And we would often found ourselves, we would just innocently say something in a, in a house group or church or conversation and suddenly the room would freeze because suddenly we had touched on something that was a live issue that we were completely unaware of. So if I'm touching any of those live issues, don't freeze. Let it come to the surface and we want to to get rid of our religious baggage so that we can be free in Jesus because it is for freedom that Christ came to set us free. So what does Paul say we we should do in order to, to actually work that out so that it becomes a reality in our lives. Now, the, the way he does this, it seems to me very un-Paul. I always have this idea of reading Paul. He's very, very black and white. You should, you shouldn't. He's very, very you know, hard line. But now it feels like our modern cultural reverence. Cultural relativism is what I'm trying to say, but can't get my words out. That it may be right for you, but it may not be right for me. And it all feels nice, but remember, these are open hand issues. These are not closed hand issues. So he said, he gives us three do nots. Do not quarrel over opinions. Don't quarrel over whether we should celebrate on Good Friday or not, or whether we should have a service on Christmas Day, 
or whether we should drink, or whether we should, people should cover their heads, or whatever it might be, or whether we should eat meat or be vegetarians. Don't pass judgment on each other. It's very easy to look at the externals and to base all of our opinions about somebody on the externals of what they do, uh, and what they say, what they wear, etc. Don't pass judgment on, what, on each other. And don't put a stumbling block in front of others or a hindrance to each other. It's very easy for us to say, I'm free of all this and really parade our freedom in such a way that it binds somebody else. So we are free and Paul makes it very clear that we are free and that nothing is unclean in itself. However, if it makes it um, makes your brother stumble, then we shouldn't do it. Those were the three do-nots. Do he gives us three do's. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Be fully convinced about what God is saying. He gives each of us revelation. And it may be that there are some of these issues where you are absolutely convinced before God that whatever it might be. In that case, be fully convinced and do that to the glory of God. And somebody else may be fully convinced of the exact opposite. Do that to the glory of God. Don't waver, don't doubt, but do what proceeds from faith. Well, I've I've already slipped into my second one. The second do is do what you do to honour the Lord. That's our main focus. It's not about what we do or what we don't do or what we wear or what we don't wear or what we eat or what we don't eat or what we drink or what we don't drink or which days and whatever. It's actually about honouring the Lord. So so we shouldn't be, be doing things in order to prove a point. I may, I may have told this story to some of you before, but many years ago I was in a, a different church where... There had been a new vicar in that church, so it tells you what sort of church it was. And he decided that he didn't want as much charismatic activity in services as, as we had previously enjoyed. And I can remember raising my hands in worship and him staring crossly at me and me staring crossly at him. And, and I was just not doing what I was doing to honour the Lord, I was doing what I was doing to make a point. And that is sin, actually. We need to do what we do to honour the Lord, and in some sense it doesn't matter about what's going on with other people. And the final do is pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So these issues can cause conflict, can cause people to fall out, can cause people to get cross with each other. Actually, we want a united body and a very diverse united body where we all accept each other, 
whether we drink or don't drink or eat or don't eat or wear or don't wear or, or celebrate days or don't. Because actually, we're united around the core fact that, that Jesus has brought us into his family. He has redeemed us, he has accepted us, and he has changed us. And those things are the fundamentals and where we should be. And all the rest of it doesn't matter, but pursue what makes a peace and mutual upbuilding. There's something very interesting about this passage, which I had not seen before until I, I read it this time. And that is the use of strong and weak. Notice that Paul is talking, saying that the people who are free are the ones who are strong. And the people who are actually observing all of these things are the ones who are weak. Whereas somehow in my head, you imagine that the people who maybe, let's think of the, the, the Jews, the people who are sort of ultra-Orthodox, they have to be very strong in order to, to do all of those things. It's actually Paul saying they're very weak because they need to. It's actually very interesting. It seems to me the opposite way around. And the people who, who do all of these religious things, we probably look at the people who don't and say, well, they're very weak because they, they, can't, they can't be bothered to do that. So actually, there's strong and there's weak. And finally, the, the first half of, of chapter 15, he's then saying we should follow the example of Jesus. That's always a good place to begin. We should always be following the example of Jesus. But actually, in, um, in this passage, it's following the, 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 the example of Jesus in the way he treated other people. There's a number of people who were Gentiles who Jesus uh, interacted with and commended them for their faith. Um, I could think of three examples. There's the woman of Samaria in John, John 4, who... Some sense he shouldn't have been talking to culturally, but he broke that taboo, and actually she she became a follower of him and uh, told her whole town. There was a centurion, and Jesus said, "I found haven't found faith like his in all of Israel." That's Luke seven one to ten. And there was a Syrophoenician woman, who he said, "Oh, only the only the dogs." Uh, eat the crumbs, and she said, well, oh, she, that's what she said, and, and so he gave, he commented on her faith. Now let's look at, at, at uh, how Paul uh, expounds on this example of Jesus. This is um, chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. It says, Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness and in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So this is saying that Jesus was fulfilling all of the things from the Old Testament about what the Messiah should do. So he was absolute fulfillment for all of the background of the Jews. But also, he did this in order that the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, may glorify God for his mercy. And so the Gentiles are coming, they don't, without the need to do all of these legal requirements and all of these um, um, sacrifices and, and dietary laws and, and, and so on. 
So Jesus fulfills both the, 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 for the Jews and for the Gentiles. And in fact, that verse is a summary of what, hap- what he's saying for the whole of the first 11 chapters of Romans. So how should we then follow the example of Jesus? In John chapter 13, Jesus says, Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And in fact, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Last week, I was traveling and I was in the airport in Amsterdam and I saw a group of people all dressed in a certain way over there. They all actually were Orthodox Jews. And I saw another group of people dressed in a certain way over there. And they were, they were Muslims and that all the women had, had head coverings up. So how do people know that we're his followers? It's because we have love for one another. It's not because of what we wear or what we do or eat or don't eat. So the example of Jesus, there are three things again. Things go in threes today. So this is 15 verse 2. Live to please God just as Jesus did and not to please him, please ourselves. It says that Jesus did everything that he saw his father doing. Second, live in harmony with each other in accord with Jesus Christ. If we're living to please Jesus then actually we'll end up being in harmony with one another because he's consistent and he wants us to live. And, and there will be harmony because if we're focused on, on him. I mean, that was Alan's point earlier. Of that's, we don't get out of our difficulties by looking at them. We get out of our difficulties by looking to Jesus. And finally, welcome one another in the same way that Jesus has welcomed us. If you actually just think about what what you were like before you met Jesus and how incredibly merciful God was. That actually is so humbling that all of the foibles and issues and things of my brothers and sisters, they just pale into insignificance when I see that. So welcome one another and accept one another just as Jesus welcomed you. So can we have the band back, please? What I've asked them to do is to sing the song we sang earlier, that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Because this is the whole theme of what the sermon has been today. That it's, sorry, um, tripping over my religious baggage, you see. <laughs> and I want to, to, to use the last verse from this passage, this is chapter 15, verse 13. I want to use this as a prayer for us. And as I pray this, I'm praying that some of these issues that we might have, there may have been conflict that you've had in a previous church, there may be conflict that you've had in this church, or even are currently having. I want to see these things rise to the surface, and we want to see Jesus glorified so that we can see him and him alone. So as they sing, 
there will be the opportunity if you want to come down and receive some prayer. It may be it's just something you want to do and, and allow Jesus to do in, the, in your own seat. But this is the final verse of this passage for today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. <laughs>